0: podcast guys takes a long view and a long price spoilers will be commonplace and warning william
1: good morning faithful reader
0: welcome fortunate seeker this is podcast guys talking erratic erratic Podcast Guys Talking to writer Greta is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil. Where?
1: A historian. And a literature scholar. Tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as Where is the Bard? And could she have planned out a whole mission in advance? Most importantly, is Callow
0: just full of dead horses? Oh no, just the north. Clap. Others in irons always end up choking on them. Eleanor Fairfax, founder of the Fairfax dynasty. B- before we get into any of the content of the chapter, I have a question.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have a similar one.
0: I bet. Go ahead. Um. Th- so I see where she's coming from. Okay. Eleanor Fairfax is saying that. Either, depending on the context, which we don't have, enslaving or imprisoning people results in a sort of karmic retribution, if you will. A law of threefold return, whatever, you get what's coming to you, equal and opposite thing. But the actual content of the metaphor is when you put a chain on someone, it ends up going down your throat holes and killing you which is kind of awesome actually but not necessarily what I'd expect
1: oh or i see you were saying the metaphor doesn't fully check out i was my my question is more about the actual phrasing here and what exactly the antecedent of them is
0: i thought this was a vor thing So in this chapter, (laughs) Billy hangs out with the Baroness Stormer, who, I have to note, kind of cute, and... Kinda? Well, we'll we'll get to it. And they talk about what they're gonna do, and then he goes and does some stuff himself in the enemy camp. Including some stuff that might not necessarily be anything but good and cool, which makes him uncomfortable because it's him, but, you know, I guess... Are you telling me
1: that Erratic Erratic gave us a nuanced character to hate?
0: I'm sure it was an accident.
1: Yeah, probably. Uh, Yeah, but the chapter starts off, like you said, with us meeting the Baroness Dormer in person. And uh, this is a William perspective chapter. So obviously we start with a pretty unsurprising emphasis. Um, The chapter begins with William telling us exactly how beautiful the Baroness is, and it's, <laughs> it's definitely a beginning. Listen, we all know how Cat is, but when Cat does it, it's fine because we love Cat. When William meets somebody and is just like, oh, and also so hot, it feels creepy.
0: But, you know, it, it, I think the real creepy thing here is the enormous age gap they've got going on. It's
1: true. Uh, William is describing how stunningly beautiful she is, and says that even in her late 30s, the sight of her smiling was enough to make his breath catch in his throat. William has, by including the word even in here, explained to us that somebody in their late 30s is basically too ancient to look nice. Uh, Late 30s is like a normal adult. (laughs) (laughs) William, normal adults, they they can be attractive too. It's okay. It's okay. This, this weird focus on her age is very strange.
0: But William has to make everything weird all the time. And he yeah. does this. He does making it weird. Weird? Because he says the sight of her smiling was enough to make his breath catch in his throat. Now, I've seen some pretty people. And mm-hmm. I can respect a smile stopping your breath in your throat. Great. But after that, he has to note. He fancied he was less swayed by her charms than most. Like, you can want to be the uninfluencible protagonist, the one cool-headed soul out there, but if someone's making your breath catch in your throat because they smiled, come on,
1: Bill. Like, among things that you can control, breathing is the one that takes the least effort, like, intentional effort on your parts to make happen, and still, he lost it. Yeah.
0: I... I'm sorry, I don't want to correct you in front of all our listeners, but I do you want to note that breathing is actually taking active and conscious effort from everyone listening right now. And you know where your tongue is in your mouth.
1: How's that nose looking, by the way?
0: And you just lost the game? <laughs> no. Nice. I feel like a little dirty for bringing that one up.
1: Yeah, just a huge callback. Wow. What year is it? Oh, yikes. Uh, don't want to dwell like on I that. Every
0: time I look at the date. Nope,
1: don't want to dwell on that one. So, uh, something about a heroic interlude, I think.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, Speaking of what year it is, I, and I don't say this lightly, and I hate to share the image everyone has of me, but I don't necessarily always value what is hailed to be virtuous in our society today entirely. But one of the more egregious errors of the modern world, I think, is that ambition is hailed so often to be simply a virtue, whereas classically it was a sin. And yeah, I'm, I'm' I'm community minded. I want people to work together. I don't want people to elevate themselves above each other unless they are literally the hierarchy. in which case, yes, please. Mm-hmm. But William, in this one and single case until later in the chapter, displays an awareness of actual virtue because he says of the Baroness Dormer that ambition did not drive her. And he sees that as a credit to her. And I like that. We don't need ambition, or personal ambition, if I need to clarify. We need people working together to make things a better place, like Catherine did when she started this rebellion that's going to leave thousands of people dead and get a demon out there accidentally. Though so mm. she couldn't have seen that coming, but it is her fault, because she's cat.
1: Uh, just to go back, did you say ambition was not a classically admired trait?
0: Everything is a cycle, and I think you're probably going to bring a Point where there was an admired ambition, maybe, but a
1: yeah, point. Ambition. So, uh, I don't know if you've heard about um, Rome, the empire that lasted for like um, two millennia.
0: Rome. That, it's, it's ringing a bell. Mm-hmm. Is oh, is that that North African one with like Hannibal?
1: Yep, you got it. Uh, suffice to say, they were pretty Something big I
0: Something would upset both of them,
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> they uh, they were pretty big on ambition and that was that, that was around for a couple of thousand years. So Okay,
0: they were way back in antique times. So I'm talking about the classical the Era. Like Shakespeare. Yeah.
1: yeah, sorry, my bad. Yes, Shakespeare hated ambition. Good point.
0: Emperor Shakespeare. Mm, the other Billy. Not to be controversial, but I like William Shakespeare more than I want to kill all orcs, William. Shakespeare never spoke poorly of orcs in any record we have of him.
1: Wow, that's actually a really good point. Not many people talk about how pretty apathetic he was towards orcs.
0: And a lot of people talk about how pretty pathetic Hamlet was. Th- that's a Shakespeare... Okay, so we find out Billy and the Baroness are discussing war, as is frankly appropriate in their position, and she can bring 5,000 to bear, and then says, Though I hesitate to commit some of them to a battle, they are peasant volunteers, untrained in the arts of war. and." I know that regularly leadership laments that they're having to commit peasant conscripts to war because they're not good at war. But the phrasing here isn't, they won't battle so good. She says, I hesitate to commit some of them to a battle, which I choose to read as, I don't want to make these not fighters fight. And that is the most generous view towards peasant conscripts we will get in the entire guide. And good for her. She's not ambitious and she doesn't want peasants to all die.
1: That's, I mean, that's setting a pretty much insurmountable bar for the rest of the leadership of Colernia, So,
0: yeah. And for all of medieval Europe, at least, literally any monarch born after 1283 can't virtue. All they know is commit peasants to battle, be ambitious, twerk, be heretical, eat hot chip, and lie. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, William replies to, hey, I don't really have many soldiers and a lot of them are peasants, I don't want to die, With Okay, but do you have any knights? A fair question. I mean, hopefully it's Callow, but also, of course not, it's Imperial Callow. Imperialized Callow. Imperiated? Imperi- Callow Imperator?
1: No, Imperiated is very good.
0: Well, they were Imperiated, but now they're imp- imp- imperiled. <laughs> nice. And then we get a brief history with... They got rid of chivalric orders after the conquest, because obviously... But the south of Calo had never been truly invaded. After the fall of Lore and the submission of the Jora. the f- The flight into exile of the Duke of Leith had been enough to tip the balance towards surrender. Which on the one hand makes enormous sense. Hey, the last significant force around has run away. Mm-hmm. Maybe we are not going to win. But also, this is a, the vestiges of a good kingdom backed into a corner. I bet Black had to do a lot of story suppression there. I'm not saying a story has to form, because he did manage to make it the story of the flight of the last bastion of good and the clamping down of evil. It worked. But it could have tipped. The peasant hero who finds out that they're one of the Fairfaxes who, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is lucky.
1: Yeah, that very well could have created Joan of Arc. But, like, like, story back to Joan of Arc.
0: Is Catherine just Joan of Arc?
1: I think Catherine is Joan of Arc, yeah. Although, mm. in all the various like wounds that she takes and the deaths or near deaths, I don't think she ever gets burned
0: down. Also, if Catherine is Joan of Arc, that makes Black the Archangel Michael, captains like Saint Margaret. Yeah, this
1: all fully checks out. you're 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 speaking like with a hesitation, as though this is evidence against Cat being Joan of Arc.
0: Hmm. Okay. Ah. Uh. You know, my favorite part of the actual history of the world is the part where Joan of Arc deliberately plunged France into rebellion against other France in order to help England keep its hold on them because England was better for France than getting free of England.
1: Yeah. And then when she died, but used that to like slip a story in and killed her rival, but he actually was okay. And I mean, yeah, this is all Joan of Arc stuff.
0: And then when Joan of Arc brought back an early king of... Probably like Arthur, right?
1: Yeah, when Joan of Arc resurrected Arthur.
0: Who was a giant spider at the time? Probably would have been a what's, a... what's a good animal for... England doesn't have good animals, though. A heart. A giant rat. Like a London plague rat? Mm-hmm. London, historically speaking, had some of the best plague rats in the world. And this is coming from a former New Yorker. London had good rats. New York has the best rats. Do not get me wrong, they are so big, and it doesn't feel like home if they're not around.
1: But, while London had good rats, unfortunately, we learn here that Callow only had good horses. Uh, During the invasion, during the capitulation of the kingdom, rather than let the Pracy end up with the best cavalry in the world, or at least in Calernia, the Callowans butchered all of their horses in you know, the north and central of Callow, they butchered all of their horses. For a horse people, that's rough. For an any people, that's rough. Also, maybe not also, I would just like to punctuate this with one large yikes. Maybe even a yikes and a half.
0: Do you know about the stereotypical historical production of glue?
1: I mean, are you suggesting that Callow got really sticky after the conquest?
0: I'm saying they were in a sticky situation. (laughs) very good but apparently they actually held on to even knights down south in i'm sorry but surprising quantity given the penetration of the empire Mm -hmm. the baroness had half a hundred when they started the war which is a weird way to say it but can you can you tell me how many knights she had in terms of hooves
1: pairs of hooves actually
0: she said i had 200 hooves of knights when we started the war not carrying their spare horses. Thank you. But, I,
1: I really can't understand cavalry unless I know how many hooves there are.
0: But they're all with Talbot now.
1: Hey, we know that name. But we don't yet. Hey, we don't know that name yet. But we're gonna... Hey,
0: we're gonna know that name. You know what name we do know? Several at this point. And one of them is Harris. Yep. Everyone's worried that Countess Elizabeth will be in trouble because oh look the silver spears are dead which means all of the legions are coming so hard all of them being two but william is confident she'll hold he promised as soon as we've dealt with the heiress host we'll move to reinforce her and i know billy is named mm-hmm. i know he doesn't he's totally reasonable in not being hopeless about the endeavor sure. yeah, absolutely but even if this wasn't literally aquia Sahelian. Fam, maybe consider that things might go a little sideways when dealing with the heiress of the Dread Empire of Praise, armed with super slave soldiers. Side note, slavery is the worst, and heiress is the worst. And also slavery is still not illegal in the United States, so that's a problem. But it right it is, a
1: Senator, it is illegal in Praise. Which is why the sentence I'm about to read to you is very much not slavery in any way. Eris is a good girl. It says here, The Stygians did not retreat or hesitate, for the leather cord around their neck could choke them in an instant should the person owning them wish it. Not slaves.
0: I wanted to make a comment here regarding how the ostensibly free world so many of us in the West live in, where we have all this opportunity, can do anything we want, but not really because we're constantly under the threat of death if we don't have income. A uh, fact mm-hmm. exacerbated in a country like the United States where even your health, well, even your health care is contingent upon holding a job so you have insurance, which is wild.
1: And even should you follow all the rules and have a job and get the health care you still may or get the health coverage you still may not have the health care you need because it's not profitable
0: and i wanted i had the urge to make a comparison here about freedom not actually being the freedom it's claimed to be but you know what slavery is way worse and super bad and they need to cut those cords off those necks and if anyone did that they would be above reproach
1: yeah i mean there are Yeah, very good. There are different types of slavery and different tiers of slavery, and it's all bad for sure. That said, having a magical cord around your neck that kills you if you disobey is probably towards the bottom of the list of bad slaveries. Like, that's uh, real bad.
0: here in the United States, racing to the bottom of ways to do slavery. Ugh, yeah.
1: Gotta love that. That race, it's going just so bad. Do
0: we know how slavery, how freedom, how one's place is determined in the Stygian system? Because how you become a slave is different in every system of slavery. Mm-hmm. Are these war winnings? They're trained from birth, aren't they? I believe so. Are they historical war winnings? Is it racialized? Is it. Yeah, I don't recall. Lottery? Was it Brave New World style, where, yeah, you're a slave, but you're happy to be because 'cause you're in the best class of people, slave? Hmm. Yeah, we're gonna call that our January Patreon goal. If you suddenly give us a hundred dollars on Patreon, we'll do a an episode or two on Brave New World. Huxley's always an interesting read. Oh,
1: all right. <laughs> I guess I just got signed up to have that on offer, but cool.
0: I would. Do you read believe that World. would happen in the year of our Ford, 2024? Yikes. I'd read A
1: Brave New World again. That's fine.
0: Do you know what William would not do?
1: What would William not do?
0: William, who thinks lowly enough of the heiress that he's not surprised that she's not above slavery, even though the Precy forbid it, he would not even put it above her to summon devils if things go sour. Ooh. Uh-huh. Aqueous could summon devils. Can you imagine? That would be
1: the absolute depths of. Her lack of morality, for sure. Her that would that would be this the signal that all is lost.
0: The funny thing here is not only the demon, but also she's literally about to be the diabolist. So right, honestly, also good for her
1: turning a city undead. Like yeah, <laughs> she she's pretty rough.
0: Honestly, just God's forbid women do anything. Oh, let eris diabolized more women war criminals
1: you're right i honestly i apologize for standing here as a man and telling eris trying to give permission to eris for what she can and can't do it is not my place whether or not she conquers Colernia using devils or demons or the undead or whatever i will stay out of it and I, I sincerely apologize
0: actually a Practical Guide to Evil really is more women war criminals. The yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, let's look at the big four players for most of the series.
0: I think the only major... No. But how many of the major war criminals are not women? Black and Nessie. greek He's not a war criminal. He's what? just a terrorist. Kairos. Okay, but he's a cutie. Yeah, actually, Kairos is...
1: I I will not condemn anything Kairos does. (laughs) Um, What about the Hierarch? Do you consider him a war criminal?
0: No, everyone does what they do around him voluntarily.
1: True, and there's a lot of elections and stuff and trials, so that must be fine.
0: A democratic state could never be bad. Right. Uh,
1: Who are we missing?
0: Meanwhile, Cat Militia.
1: Ares, Cordelia, the Saint.
0: The Goddesses.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess, actually, if you want to include the Drow... Like, Rumena, etc.
0: Well, you can include the Drow themselves, but what they are is because of the goddesses, so...
1: Oh, I was saying the Drow themselves are not women war criminals. Oh. They're just normal war criminals who don't have gender, because, like, let war criminals be war criminals, okay?
0: How about Practical Guide to Evil, it's the more woman and gender minority... Eh, just more gender minority war criminals. I'm I'm on board for that. Does Juniper do a war crime? I mean, she does do a war. Well, that's a crime to me. Yep. Not that crime is a category I think it's valid, but... No, I mean, the only time where I'm
1: pretty okay with crime being a distinctive thing is to apply it to people who do war. I don't know. I, war criminal just sounds better than saying, don't fight, please.
0: Okay, but I don't need to get my morality from the law. I can get it from Faith, from the House of Light.
1: Yeah, who, despite... Doing morality as a big part of what they do, they don't officially take sides in mortal conflicts. Uh, we get here from William that they do sometimes produce like a named who's a cleric and they all carry the banner of heavens into the battle. Whatever. I have to say though. Like an anti Joan of Arc? Wait, yes. Ooh, this is
0: getting complicated.
1: But I have to say, given how most wars that we see, at least in a good Historic wars especially those related to callow are pretty well defined as being uh, you know as objective as possible within the terms of the universe capital g good versus capital e evil i would say that praise invading callow isn't just a mortal conflict you know and that a crusade against praise isn't just a mortal conflict so it's interesting that the house of light doesn't take sides officially
0: right the thing is, it does, it's just not the Calvin House of Light, which to be fair, William's kind of our perspective here, that's what he knows. Yeah. But the House very clearly can, or in the case of Prosser, has been a powerful political force. Also it's been a powerful political force in Prosser, it's just officially not, which is always a fun dynamic. And that reminds- what's this? Oh my! I'm so sorry to report everyone, but now it's time for Deicide and Applied Blasphemy.
1: aside and Applied Blasphemy is our segment where we discuss comments and questions from you, our dear listeners. We have falsely assumed the thrones of your gods, and we invite you in this segment to challenge us for the mantles. You will not succeed, and we will continue on unceasing and unerring.
0: Today's abortive attempt on our thrones comes from that most terrible of places, Reddit, and from that most one of the places in Greece. Corinth, The Corinthian Man, has written again in response to our previous episode on a a fair number of points. And that's all well and good, and if you're not following the Reddit thread, are you even a real fan?
1: There is a lot of discussion here, which provides a lot of context to some of our discussions. And unfortunately, it is lengthy and in-depth enough that a summary that would fit within this segment would not do it justice. So all we can do is point you in the direction of this comment on last week's episode to get, honestly, a great analysis of some points that we talked about at some length. However, in the comment, we also get a very useful thing, and that is the demons. We had spent a bit of time discussing the claim that demons can't be destroyed by villains because they are evil. Corinthian Man has done a great job in sort of collecting for us, compiling for us, the various demons in the shop as far as their ultimate fates. So the list that is provided here starts with the demon encased in the door of the tower, unresolved. We don't know what the deal is with that one. Next, we've got the obvious, the one that's kind of ongoing now, the March for Demon, uh, which isn't destroyed so much as just sort of stoppered up again. We've got the Aquias Folly, which is a handful of demons, a rough thing to say, which are, again, just sort of contained by a demon of corruption. There's a demon egg containing a demon of absence, which is contained by a hero. There's a bunch, seven, that are released from containment, and they are destroyed by the Mirror Knight with the Severance. So a hero and a heroic aspect working together.
0: With one of those having been destroyed by the Blade of Mercy. Sure, that's it. Um, So in short, demons
1: tend to be contained rather than destroyed, and when they are destroyed, it does seem to be heroes, so there's no counter-evidence. I don't think this fully supports they can't be destroyed by evil, but it...
0: At least moves us in that direction. But unlike demons, we cannot be destroyed by good. And that means that the Corinthian man has failed to defeat us. If you have any comments,
1: please feel free to reach out to us either on the Discord, on the subreddit, or, you know, directly through our email, which is thelongprice at gmail.com. But those attempts will likely end, as the Corinthian man's did, in, as my co-host so eloquently put, failure. Because we stand unvanquished. The conversation here wraps up with uh, basically William telling the the noble here, the you know the person who knows how to think ahead a bit, to keep some priests on hand uh, just in case because devils. And in return, she says. Luck in battle, and William responds with a very typically, you know, typical response of from William—a pretty mopey, like, "Well, <laughs> that's that's who that's how things are for me," you know, a real, a real edge lord kind of response. But he, it's still, it's like his most personable line in the series. It's it's a nice like self deprecation. He, he, he smiles thinly when he says it. She says, "Luck in battle," and he responds with, "That'd be a first. It's like classic water cooler humor, you know, like just yeah, this is how people talk and it's just the expected thing. It's just coming from William. You it, you just read so much into it and yet it's still a very like I don't know likable line from him.
0: Don't worry, it's William. You won't have to deal with him doing anything likable anytime again, especially not soon in this chapter. Oh,
1: good. Thank you for And that's because,
0: Yeah, don't worry. And that's because when he gets back to his tent, there's someone there, probably an assassin or something.
1: Uh-oh. But nah. It's just like his friend. Well, yeah. So he Thief apparently routinely tries to surprise him by being sneaky, which is kind of her thing, and William can always catch her out. And in this instance, the way he does that, the way he proves that he sees her or perceives her at least, is to pull out his, you know, horrific angel weapon and hold it against the edge of hold the edge of it against her throat. He then puts it away, but we get this line. Forcing the penitent's blade back into its scabbard was an effort. It disliked returning without having drawn blood, even if no one worthy of being bled was around. So he knows that this is the case. He knows that pulling this thing out makes it want to kill things. And yet he pulled it out to prove some kind of weird point to his ally in an enclosed space with like it just feels like such a strange ah this is a very dangerous tool i'm going to pull the pin on this grenade but don't worry it's just to prove a point i'll put the pin right back in i promise
0: to be fair okay what if he didn't know for sure at first that, you know i'm not going to be fair to him yeah, yeah he's just no a jerk yep who will never do anything positive ever i'm sure you keep saying that and you're making me nervous don't worry about it. Because he's an idiot. He's, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I know we don't use that kind of harsh language on this podcast, but he's super dumb. He's dumb, Because dump, though. he did all of that nonsense in Summerholm, getting his allies killed and captured and getting a whole lot of people hurt. Mm-hmm. And you think, okay, sure. But he's trying to get the warlock. He's trying to mess with Catherine. Like, he's got reason. He he doesn't know how it He he doesn't know it has to go so badly. Nope. No, he did. Because when Thief informs him that Aerys' host has moved half a day's march now, and he says she knows we're after her then, he thinks that it had been too much to hope she wouldn't see them coming. Still, he was confident in his chances against this particular villain, and here is the part where, uh, unlike Squire in Summerholm she wasn't fate-bound to survive the encounter with him. He went to all those lengths against Catherine in a combat he knew he couldn't win, mm-hmm. which meant all he could do was lose more the more he invested. He, he's so dumb! Now, to be fair to William, there
1: is a chance that he learned about Catherine's story and their bound stories afterwards from the bar, and I just realized I'm I started this with it to be fair to William. Yes, he's an idiot. I agree. You say the
0: bard, though. I did say the bard. But she's not here. What? Where is she? Well, it's hard to know, but she's probably just drunk in a ditch somewhere, right? Frankly, Wrong.
1: if I... Oh.
0: Thief says that she plays it up well, the clumsiness and the slurring, but no matter how much hard liquor she puts away, she's never been more than tipsy. And, okay, yeah, sure. Cool, we're beginning to get to, oh, the Bard's more of a player than a piece. Cool. She's not just a Bard and they're like that, maybe. But, but, but! We remember when we saw the Bard, it was considered whether she had a bottomless flask with all she was drinking out of it and how that would be such a waste of magic, such an extremely expensive magic Mm -hmm. to have. But I just now considered, maybe she's not actually even drinking all that much. Maybe she doesn't have magic alcohol And she just sips at it a little bit when she really wants it. But otherwise, you know, in the words of in the words of William Jefferson Clinton, she put it to her lips, but she did not inhale, which is, I believe, how you drink from a flask, right? Yeah, you put it to your lips and you inhale. Pulmonary inebriation. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I find that really funny. And I choose to believe that now. All right, that's fair. She tricked all of us. Yeah,
1: William... Hears this. Ah, she's playing it up. She's not actually as drunk as we think. And William's response to that is to frown and say, you think she's deceiving us? He hears this thing. Hey, named all have quirks. They all do weird things. We don't in story. We don't know what's up with the bard fully yet. So even, but even within the bounds of just another named, she's got her quirks. She does her weird stuff. She has her history. She's trying to hide. Like that's all very normal. And, Yet when he hears, ah, she probably isn't that drunk and is really just playing it up a bit for her audience. This this man's response is to immediately leap to the dimmest view of the situation and basically accusations, harsh accusations. This person we've been traveling with, who has helped us out, yada yada. Oh, she's been deceiving us. It it just it's a very William response to have found out that ah, the bar's not that drunk actually.
0: Hi. Would fear for my life if I ever had to reveal to William that I, I don't know, wore a wig or had contact. Right. But Thief actually does bring up something that, admittedly, is a little concerning in the comportment of an ally because they went to Summerholm to fight the warlock, to kill the warlock. Mm-hmm. They had a band of five. And apparently, Thief has some story lore going on because she knows. Monsters like that don't go easy. One of them was going to die to Warlock. She says, It couldn't be you, because you have a mirror on the other side. Hunter was meant to be your right hand, ill-suited as he was to the role. You needed me to get into the city and to get out afterwards. That left Morava and Simeon, William finished. Your point? And it kind of starts to seem like a setup. Not of the party, but of Bumbler.
1: Yeah. Thief explains they're both bumblers you know they both have that clumsiness aspect to what they do so there's a redundancy which doubles down on yeah it should be one of them and then we get this really neat analysis because it works in both layers of interpreting the story uh both in the narrative of the in-universe narrative of the guide and also the narrative of reading the practical guide to evil for us she says But how much of an impression did Conjurer make compared to the Bard? He barely talked while she was always in the background, larger than life, drinking and badly strumming her lute. The bumbling Conjurer was on screen, a bit, but when he wasn't actively bumbling his magic, or dying... No, both of those were great. Yeah, great character, love him he wasn't mentioned we never got a and in the background he was xyz no that was the bard's job to be right behind what was going on or in the midst of what was going on this is it's it's great that she was a background character from thief's perspective and from william's perspective the bard was a background character or sorry from the thief's perspective from the lone swordsman perspective the Bumbling Conjurer was a background character in real life, and not the way the Scribe is, where there's an intentionality, a, a stealth to it, but just, eh, he's here, but like we kind of forget about him.
0: And William doesn't like that idea, that she's placed herself, in this case, just to shelter in the death of an ally, which by sheltering mm-hmm. she arranges. And he says that she always gave him good counsel, to which the thief retorts, She's given you the advice that keeps her story moving along. And I don't know about you. uh, We didn't mention her, but women war criminals, anyone? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for a starring role in a tragedy. And I think that Thief, whose name we have not been given, and William also hasn't been given, in fact, is the first we see in the story to actually question the concept of the bard, to rebuke it, to start to peel back that curtain. Minimally, it still sounds like a mortal threat and not even necessarily a threat, so much as something to keep an eye on. Right. But, you know, let's keep an eye on this.
1: She's a she's a perspective, perspective, apparently. She's a perceptive one.
0: He is a perspective one. And more than that, she's an acquisitive one. She has apparently stolen some outrageous stuff in her time she says, comparing it to Prey stealing an entire kingdom. Right. And both of those are pretty big, but um, just you wait. Just you wait. It's gonna get... Okay, I'm sorry. I know that there's famously no spoilers, but she steals the sun.
1: <laughs> yeah. Listen, she steals the sun, and it's fantastic, and it's not even my favorite beef-based feat of hers. It's probably the best and... one, but it's not my favorite.
0: She steals the sun. That's not even a top 10 moment of the guide.
1: <laughs> Obviously. I mean, Yoink will go down in history as the best single, maybe the second best single word. Yeah. Resp- like line. We may have
0: crossed the best single word already.
1: Yeah, we did. Absolutely. That, just phenomenal. I mean, we talk about it. That is for both of us, basically the scene that made us say, oh, okay, I'm reading this whole thing and loving it forever.
0: But uh, Speaking of rebuking, now that she's rebuked the concept of the bard, she has to rebuke Billy with the obvious. You're the lone swordsman. The whole band of heroes motif runs against your role.
1: And it's like yeah, obviously. This is exactly what we were yelling at him about when he first showed up and every time he shows up since then. Vivian is right. She's giving this whole like stop trying to clean up everything here. Just, you know, just go kill some villains. That's your thing. <laughs> it's nice that there's somebody in-universe who is so clearly seeing through all of this mess and just saying what needs to be said. Vivian really is just the best. Which I say about most of the woe at some point or another, and will continue to do so.
0: But the reason she's the best is because she knows her role. It's to sneak around, to grab stuff, and to advise once in a while. William, on the other hand, does not have those roles. He has a very specific and bounded role.
1: Which is killing the people that need killing, according to Vivian, she's right. The lone
0: swordsman's role is swording.
1: Yep, but the way she tells him this is fantastic. The you know, the whole band of heroes Matif, runs against your role, and then later she says, "Stop doing things you think are clever and start doing what you're actually good at." And while I understand she's saying that the things you're good at aren't complicated plans, the way I choose to read this sentence is her saying you're bad at being clever. Which is also true, so I think it's completely fine to read it that way. But I just, I love the way she is just letting William have it here. It's very good.
0: Now, I'm I'm something of a traditionalist, and I don't think we should let William have anything. Okay, fair. good job, Viv. Or whatever your name is. Speaking of good job, Viv, however, after their chat, she leaves. And the last line of the section of the chapter is, It took him a quarter bell to realize that at some point during the conversation, She'd stolen his purse. I respect that energy so much.
1: It's so good. It also is really fun that within the hero-villain dichotomy of the guide, somebody whose entire thing is stealing is pretty firmly a hero, even if the stealing is at the expense of other heroes.
0: It's neat. I mean, I know a fair number of political ideologies that would place a fair number of kinds of things that were stealing as virtue. Oh, sure. Sure. And I also have a moral ideology that makes doing bad things to William a virtue, so. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) But that's partially just because William is a cruel and merciless person who will kill anything between him and his victory, right? Obviously. So he sneaks into the enemy camp, sees one of the slave super soldiers, and punches him, elbows him in the back of the head, knocks him unconscious, and then hides the unconscious body in a crate. And moves on. Yeah, he spent some
1: time knocking people unconscious. In theory, um, do you remember back in the war games when we had trouble with the concept of a thirty-foot fall being a mere injury?
0: Oh yeah, that was back before I was a uh, licensed doctor.
1: Oh, so you're saying that's fine now? Yes. Yeah, we'll see. But the William takes his, you know, tries his hand at debilitating injuries being mere unconsciousness we get the description of him being way faster than the rest of these people he's named he's using a sword sure somebody is coming towards him he describes this person as being looking like they are swimming through mud and then we get this three steps blurred and the flat of the sheathed sword slapped the chin upwards the strength of the blow enough that just sailing through the air it caused a small gust of wind So why did he bother keeping his sword in the sheath if he is swinging at full speed compared to somebody who's moving so slowly that it looks like they are swimming through mud? And he's creating a gust of wind with this blade that he's swinging into somebody's head. They're dead either way. You might as well use the sword and make it clean, I guess. Like, this guy doesn't have a jaw anymore, right?
0: In the early editions of the world's most popular role-playing game... Mm Mm-hmm. Back when instead of being run by the Wicked and Evil Hasbro company, it was run by the Wicked and Evil TSR, clerics could not use bladed weapon. And the rationale for this was that they were forbidden to draw blood. Sure. So instead, they would bash someone with, say, a mace rather than draw blood. Don't know why I was thinking of that just now, but it felt related. Yeah, I respect the connection. And speaking of connection... What is the most intimate connection two people can have?
1: Um, are you are you going to say, like, murder?
0: Oh, no, I was going to say brotherhood.
1: Oh, of, of course. Now, <laughs> I'm sorry, is that my segue? <laughs> I feel like you've done this long enough to know that that's generous
0: on my end. I really thought you had a thing to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, fine. No, 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 we'll, um, we'll ma- swing it. No, no. Okay. Imagine that you had a whole litter of brothers. I, okay, I'm imagining it. Okay, now I'm going to kill you.
1: Okay, is this part of the imagining?
0: But I can also kill all of your brothers. Oh, okay. Do you have me kill all of your brothers instead of just you. You're dying either way.
1: How many brothers do I have?
0: Um, A phalanx.
1: A phalanx of brothers. Am I the oldest?
0: Yeah, you're like number one.
1: Okay. Have any of them like narked on me to our mom lately?
0: Actually, none of them have. Whoa. And also, you've been absolutely perfect. Love listening so much. You're so obedient. Don't worry about it. Also, you'll die if you're disobedient.
1: Okay, last question. Last night, when I went into our shared room, the Phalanx room, and I asked to, and I said it was my turn for the PlayStation, did they let me have my turn?
0: Who determined it was your turn for the PlayStation? Mom
1: told me it was my turn.
0: Oh, then absolutely. You were given full control.
1: Okay. In that case, I will not have my Phalanx of brothers killed.
0: Congratulations. You're as cool as my favorite character in the guide right now, Ophon. Ophon, I hardly know. Uh, no, wait. Huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's great. Uh, William rolls up into the command tent and then basically just steps in, sits down to hang out with these fellas. And one of the officers wants to raise the alarm, but Ophon doesn't allow this and says, "I'm the the line here is great." I'm afraid we are all already dead, Parth. Finish your cup. Raising an alarm will only cause the death of more brothers before he leaves. I mean, yeah, this guy rules. But not literally. He's, you know, like a slave. Sorry. Uh, a poorly paid... He's an intern for the heiress.
0: Well, no, no, you don't understand. So he is not just gaining valuable job training. Okay. But after a probationary war he will be entitled to a portion of the proceeds of his involvement, equally no more than a fair bit less than poverty wages. So okay, he has food and board provided during the war. Oh, nice. And he's, I mean, very plainly, he's first spear. He had ample growth opportunity. Opportunity for advancement. An ample opportunity for advancement. Not to mention how he can synergize his portfolio. So
1: I'm sure he's got a great portfolio. Uh, but william asks to sit down and join them he's poured a glass of wine he takes a small sip and then we get another great william bit where he takes a small sip and uh has no idea whatsoever whether it was a good vintage or not and i i just this is one of those moments there's a few of them in this chapter and a couple other times where he says something and he would be so funny like he would be such like a goober that we would just laugh with and at a little bit if he weren't so awful like i love the idea of this guy rolling up super confidently taking out some guards coming in sitting down having a glass of wine poured for him by his enemies and then just being like i have no idea if this is good wine it's it's a great scene
0: but a tense one because this is william it's going to start murdering people probably because he's the worst and i'm sad Because these seem like decent folks who have, you know, known nothing in life but suffering. Until, of course, Eris freed them. Don't get me wrong. Right, right, right. Because slaves don't get paid. And we, he says, are to be paid after the war. Yet, we bear the strangler still. And he taps the leather cord around his neck. He says, a strange thing, this pricey freedom. Yeah, Aeris really did the absolute minimum less than because she's employing slaves right but it's really gross and now william's race-based crimes are also going to be gross because he's going to be killing people who didn't have who had even less say than the average peasant pressed into war yeah and then they finish chatting and it happens william puts his hand on the hilt of his sword and follows his instincts and he cuts off all of the leather stranglers He says, there are no slaves in the kingdom of Callow, not as long as I live. And it must be made clear, William is derelict of conscience and morality, and he's a terrible person and the worst, and I rejoice in his coming death. Mm -hmm. But this move right here is unqualifiedly and unabashedly awesome, heroic, and good. And if he keeps this up, which he does not, he would perhaps not redeem himself, but he would make himself into someone whose actions then don't need redeeming.
1: He'd be one of the good ones.
0: Right. I'm not saying he'd erase the crimes. Of... I'm, I'm just saying the person he would then be is a cool person. Right, 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 right. With a bad past.
1: This is this moment in here is definitely one of the most heroic things we see a hero do in this entire story. It's fantastic. He has... Other than,
0: of course, when Tariq smothers a child in his bed.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I said I mean, one of, I said one of. Okay. okay. Uh, obviously, everything the Pilgrim does is better than anything anybody else does, obviously. But he rolls up, he has the solution to their problem, and I know I just referred to being enslaved as their problem. He has the solution to the fact that there is an army of enslaved people here, because I have to imagine taking a knife to these things is not going to get the job done. They're magic stranglers. If that was all it took, they'd be free. And he uses it, and is just like problem-solving. He he's he cuts off the the stranglers of the officers. He takes a moment to realize, I could ask something here, because they say, yeah, Ophon asks, what's the price of this freedom? And William has to take a moment here, but then he says, nothing. He goes on to, uh, you know, talk about his backstory a little bit here, of course, but he leaves it at nothing. And then, without even being asked, without asking anything in return, he just says, I'll need one of you to escort me as I go around the camp breaking the cords. And then offers to draw them a map on how to escape. He gives some advice on how to avoid the pro mercenaries. He he fully stands by his, this is going to cost you nothing. He goes above and beyond. He doesn't just free the officers. He steps in and frees everybody and gives them advice on how to not get captured or killed on their way back to where they want to go this is this is heroism this is what heroism legitimately is and william does it
0: it's glorious it's good i don't mitigate that at all by saying man i'm uncomfortable about that yeah i mean
1: listen i think it's great because Now the juxtaposition of every time heroes who aren't as awful as William don't step up and do superheroic things, their comparison is now the Lone Swordsman. You know, the sororicidal, genocidal, madman, angel-influenced killer, the Lone Swordsman. He's now the bar for heroes.
0: Have you ever read A Clockwork Orange? Unfortunately, I have not. I gotta say, it is quite the read, and one of the concepts within it is the main character is a real nasty piece of work who does real nasty stuff. But also, he likes Bach. And I think EE did hear what A Clockwork Orange tried to do, and also succeeded at. It's successful. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying,
1: that liking Bach and going out of your way to free slaves are pretty equivalent morally.
0: I'm glad you don't misinterpret my words in a public forum. I would never. This isn't a public forum. A public-facing stage.
1: Yeah, public-facing with, you know, a few dozen of our closest friends. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week.
0: This isn't a public forum. Also, be sure to write in at thelongprice at (laughs) gmail.com, where you often end up featured, but it's not a forum. Because we get to misinterpret your words publicly. And so Billy asks that they go live their lives, but they volunteer to follow him. And off doing it, great. But then more and more of them sign on. And big old first spirit says, you're still young. Do not be so eager to follow. You still have a life ahead of you. And I just love him. A guy shows up to kill them all. And he's like, hey, guys, let's be cool and not get anyone hurt. We're done now. Then... He's granted life, and he says, cool, I'm going to spend it on making things right. But everyone else, go live your lives. You deserve them. He's such an MVP, and he puts William to shame. Because don't tell me he wouldn't have freed everyone if he had the means.
1: Oh, sure. And it's important to note here, the spending the life thing, yes. But there's a bit more to it. We get a very, very cool glimpse into Stygia here with the...
0: Awesome glimpse. Horrible. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but...
1: but very cool. Uh, with the two-word, I don't know, oath. The words of the city, the deities of the city. It's not exactly clear at this point, but they are. Uh, we get the uh, some of the officers saying that oaths were given. I would seek the cranes with my brother Ophon.
0: I don't understand what that means.
1: I. This is why I think retribution and re- redress here are maybe gods of the city and are referred to as the Cranes. I I imagine there's like a twin crane thing here. I That's that's ringing a bell for me. And I don't... We have to look into that going forward when Stiggy gets talked about more, but...
0: They are the patron spirits of the city, said to speak in the dreams of those deemed worthy.
1: There you go. But yes, the two of them are Retribution and Redress. It's phenomenal. Uh, it's... It's... <laughs> There's a bit of a trend here. Given Callo's whole grudge thing, I really appreciate that. Stygia, the one of the evil-free cities, is basically right there with, uh, you know, a slightly shifted approach to a very similar concept. It's great. So cool. Stygia MVP. Ovan MVP. Of this chapter, William MVP. No, okay, actually, no. Viv. She she put him on this path. I'll, I'll give her credit. That that helps me sleep better at night. Not giving full credit to William.
0: You did just call the people who do the super slavery MVP. No, no, no. The people. That's not what you meant, but your words.
1: The did. people of Stygia, the slaves, they're the MVPs. The the government there's bad. Obviously, they're very
0: officially not the people. That's how the law works.
1: Oh yeah, the the well, I don't want to not call them people because that's a legal thing, and I don't want to be bad about it. I don't I don't like laws. Remember, I think I've said that mm. before.
0: Then go free a slave, coward. Wow, you got me there. William smiled, ends the chapter, and for the first time in years, it was genuine. William found himself at the end of a stage of adventure, not elbow deep in the corpse of his sister, and so he smiled. Look how easy life is. Look how nice life is when you're not the literal worst person in creation, and I know the dead king is alive right now. Kind of. Is he? Okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah, I would say any day that you don't end elbow deep in the guts of your sister is a pretty good day, and I mean that like. Would you be willing yeah. to say that on record? I think I just did. Oh my! But I don't think we can go into too much more detail about exactly how bad it is to kill your sister because we are out of time.
0: But if we did go into detail, it would be like at least a little bad, right?
1: Yeah, don't kill. Don't like don't kill your don't kill people. Actually, okay, good, good. yeah.
0: Um, anyway, join us next time on Podcast Guys Talking Erratic as We discuss... Madness. Corruption. And...
1: Sorry, were we talking about the Yante Empire?
0: Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Arata. It's a fan made podcast discussing Erratic Arata a practical guide to evil. Check out the full serial at guide to evil.wordpress.com. Intro music for this episode was Cradle of Your Soul by Lemon Music Studio. Music for the Epigraph was Clapping Music for Typographic Video version 2 by Brightest Avenue. And yes, I did pick this just because she said clap. Music for Deacide and Applied Blasphemy was Save Ads by Toby Lane. Outer Music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine, is The Price of Freedom by Daddy S Music. The music is provided by the generous license of pixabay.com slash music. Go and support all the artists who make this work possible by providing their stories and sounds free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at the Price. Do you have questions, comments, contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? Email us at thelongprice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com/pgtee. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by name, receive personalized stories and art, and access at least one patron exclusive tangent. We implore you: don't consider joining unless you're already supporting the artists who make this all possible. Special thanks to our patron and villainous hero, Gray; our patron and liege, always the claimant, never the named; our patron and guardian, the Fae Knight; our patron and mentor the Traveling Teacher, our patron and dear friend, Aaron! Our patron and inspiration, the Hopeful Romantic, as well as the hordes of cattle below. Next week, Chapter 22, Rescue! guys takes a long view and a long price spoilers will be warning and content warning william
1: we're sticking with spoilers will be warning is that what i said yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm very on top of things today